Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. For those who follow the social justice uh, battle, if you want to call it that, and evangelicalism, if you're watching, you recognize, I'm sure, the face that is before you. That is Russell Moore. Uh, we haven't talked about Russell Moore, I don't think, in a little while. It's been a few weeks. I mean, Russell Moore is kind of, a, you know, he produces material that regularly, myself and others who uh, are challenging uh, this narrative of social justice and all the things that fall under that, um, he, he comes up regularly, but it's been a little while. It's been really since I think before the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, like the week before when he was causing all kinds of mayhem um, for Mike Stone. And, uh, and he just did an interview a few days ago. Someone sent this to me, and I thought we would go over it. Um, and, and I haven't watched, I, I watched like maybe 30 seconds of it, and I thought, just in the 30-second clip, I thought, this is good. <laughs> this is good stuff to, to react to and to kind of get behind to try to explain what he's doing, uh, what his strategy is. And, and since I've watched Russell Moore and uh, read Russell Moore for so many years now, I thought this would be um, a good opportunity. By the way, I should probably at some point uh, show you, I, it won't be this episode, but I should show you the letter or the email I wrote to Russell Moore, like, I want to say in 2010, so, somewhere like that. It was like 11 years ago. I wrote an email to Russell Moore and it was not a critical email. It was not. It was thanking him for helping me kind of see the light on uh, on, on some, some things. And, uh, and I actually went to Southern Seminary and Russell Moore prayed with me. Many of you don't know this story, and so um, I'm, I'm giving you a sneak peek. I'm going to share this at some point because I think it'll intrigue a lot of you. Uh, and, and I don't think, um, I, I went back, actually, I read the email not too long ago, and I thought, it, it, am I the one that's changed? And I don't think so. I think, I think Russell Moore, I, I don't think actually either of us have changed that much on the issues we were writing about and talking about. I've changed in other ways. He's changed in other ways, I'm sure. I and mean, we both changed here and there. But I think fundamentally, we were probably misunderstanding each other. And I was thanking him for uh, calling someone out for a uh, for, for something that I probably misunderstood, but I also misunderstood his critique of that. It, it's just a confusing scenario. Anyway, and I was also, how old was I? Like, So 11 years ago, I would have been uh, 20 years old. I might have been 19. I think I was 20 when I wrote it. But anyway, um, I've been watching Russell Moore for a while. That's the point. And uh, so I, I actually sat in his class too. I just remembered that. I sat in his theology class when I visited Southern. Um, met Al Mohler there as well. Uh, so that, was, that sounds, it seems like a different time. But, uh, but I, I feel like I, I understand, at least to some extent, the way Russell Moore operates. I didn't 11 years ago. I think I do now. And so... Um, uh, that's one of the reasons I think it's good to talk about him, just to kind of understand, because he's not the only one that operates this way. But the subversive nature, the the uh, all all the hidden assumptions that he reveals in, in his uh, talks and his um, articles, uh, I'll try to catch them if I can, and we'll focus on them a little bit here. But um, one of the reasons I'm also doing this, I should note for those who do pray for me and everything, I am moving right now. In fact, I, I kind of conveniently moved everything out of the way in the room so you you don't know that I'm moving but like if I picked up right in front of me like <laughs> this is the uh this is the tape right that we're using to put boxes together to put stuff in so I still have my little sort of studio area in my wife's laundry room but you don't want to see what's behind me or what's on the other side of me it's a mess right now and uh so um yeah it's crazy we're moving in like in a little over a week and uh so uh, and I'm also writing a lot. I'm trying to get uh, the book done. And I think I think realistically it'll be like Tuesday probably when I'm like actually Tuesday or Wednesday when I'm like done, done. 
like like maybe there'd be things here or there the the, you know, the editor's gonna say hey go correct this or something but um we've i've been i've been doing the book the the book is called christianity and social justice religions and conflict and uh i've been doing it piece by piece with the publisher because i told them i want to get this out asap and there's so many other things projects that i don't even talk about on this show but things that i'm trying to also do and um and so when i get a chance to write like today i had about half a day to write i just i get in the mode and i i try to write as much as i can and then i'll send like a chapter to the editor uh, and then the editor will edit it and send it back to me. And then so we're like kind of editing as we go to try to speed up the process. Uh, anyway, um, the, today was one of those days. So I didn't really get a chance to look at other things. Uh, there, there's like a whole list of things I'd like to talk about. I mean, I, there's so many things going on right now. You have David Platt's church, McLean kind of just blowing up right now. And that, that really it's been happening for over a year. But it's it, things are becoming more public now. Um, you have what's going on even at John Piper's church or what John, the church John Piper used to pastor, and that's blowing up. Both of them, uh, re issues related to social justice, playing prominent roles. Crew, of course. By the way, Crew, I should say this. I did an episode yesterday on the Lenses Institute shutting down, and since then someone sent me uh, a, a screenshot from, I don't know if it was the direct, it was someone high up at Lenses saying, we're not shutting down in, I think it was like Australia and South Africa. It's just the U.S., and I, I have a sneaky suspicion this is a political move on the part of lenses and the progressives and crew. They want to point a finger at conservatives and say they're the ones causing the division when it's them. But so I, I don't know exactly what move is being made right now. And I hope that lenses in the U.S. is being shut down. But just know if you're giving to crew, it's still going to lenses. It's just not in the U.S. So I guess we're... We're, we're teaching that kind of stuff, that social justice and critical race theory and standpoint epistemology stuff to uh, people in South Africa and uh, Australia, et cetera. So uh, that's not very encouraging. Um, it needs, if they're going to end lenses, they need to end it all over the world. It's, it's not right to just end it in the United States, in my opinion. But uh, crews blowing up over this stuff. Um, if I thought about it, I could go further. Obviously, the Southern Baptists are blowing up over this. So um, Russell Moore, wh where does he fit in all this? Well, Russell Moore left the Southern Baptist Convention. He was the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And ki kind of in what seemed like a political move right before the convention, he kind of took one of the um, main issues conservatives had with progressives or social justice advocates in the SBC away from them because their issue was him. And when he's gone, they can't really bring him up or complain about him or use him as you know, to point to to say, hey, here's, here's the problem. He, he left. And one of the things he did was while he was walking out the door, he basically threw Mike Stone under the bus and re released information or had people release it. We're not exactly sure exactly what happened, but uh, it just created all kinds of mayhem. And now he's with in Christianity. He's working with Christianity Today as what was it? I think he's a public theologian or something like that. So uh, he really recently went on PBS, public broadcasting, right? Not exactly conservative at all, public broadcasting. Uh, I mean, what, what media is not uh, progressive at this point? But public broadcasting is, I mean, you're basically going on like MSNBC at that point. I mean, that's kind of maybe like a little more of a, uh, you know, th their tone is more like, shh, you're in the library. It's like NPR, right? You ever listen to NPR, that NPR voice? It's just, uh, you, you know, welcome to NPR. It's just so... It's like, why are you doing your, your show in the library? And then they'll bring in some kind of you know, music background and interlude. And anyways, I, I just think PBS and NPR, I mean, they're both national, 
funded by, I guess, our taxpayer dollars to some extent, media companies. But uh, but that's where, and, and, that, and this fits Russell Moore. In my opinion, Russell Moore belongs at PBS or NPR. That's who he is. It's, it's kind of that like uh, elitist kind of, you know, dress nice, very intellectual sounding kind of, you know, soft hands, uh, modicum of, of respectability and, uh, and, and your tone is always uh, like you're in the library. I don't know how else to say it. And, 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 and then you can say like the nastiest things though, but in the most like couched intellectual sounding ways. And so uh, anyway, Russell, this is just his environment, in my opinion, that, that's who Russell Moore is, in my opinion. So let's watch this. Let's see what, how Russell Moore, Russell Moore is always talking about, or he has in the past, being a public witness, being a prophetic voice. Let's see how he does it. Because usually it's like from the pages of the Washington Post condemning Christians. Let's see. Now, I haven't watched this yet, so I don't know. Maybe he will. Let's see if he preaches the gospel. And let's see if he calls the world to account for sin at all. Or if this is just using their platform to throw Christians under the bus once again. He's, he's so used to doing that. Uh, so we will start it off. And, and we'll, I don't know. I don't know how far we'll get, but we'll see. Um, it's, how, this is about 16 minutes, so we should be able to do the whole thing. Theologian Russell Moore is one of the most influential figures in evangelical Christianity today. But back in May, he sent shockwaves through his community after resigning his leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention. A leaked letter alleging raw racist sentiment was one of many damning reasons he walked away. And here he is speaking to Michelle Martin. Pastor Russell Moore, thank you so much for talking with us. No, thanks for having me, Michelle. Obviously, many people are familiar with your work, but for those who are not, I mean, you have been one of the most high-profile evangelical leaders in the country for many years now. For some people, you probably are the face of, of uh, the evangelical movement. When did it start to go wrong for you? When did things internally start to change? When did you start to notice some sort of friction there? Just notice this. Uh, she's from NPR, so <laughs> I didn't know that that was coming, but she's an NPR I guess, um, uh, I don't know, host, uh, but she, um, she sees Russell Moore. This is how insular this group is. She sees Russell Moore as perhaps the face of evangelicalism. Yeah, we're all familiar. I mean, people are familiar with Russell Moore, right? That's actually really not the case when you're thinking about like popular Christianity in the United States. A lot of people have never heard of Russell Moore. It's more the Southern Baptists who probably know who he is. And, but it's interesting, like, I'm just, showing you like look this is who he plays to this is his audience these are the people that know him uh npr radio host uh or contributor who just kind of like oh yeah russell moore some people would consider you the face of evangelicalism right that because that's they consider him the face of or they want to consider him the face of evangelicalism they see him as such a prominent person that these are the people that give him accolades more than anyone else well, I don't think that things uh, went wrong. I think in some ways things went very right uh, in that I, I came to see uh, new uh, ways to equip Christians um, and, and God doing a new thing. And frankly, within the Southern Baptist Convention, the people in the Southern Baptist Convention were overwhelmingly not just supportive, but, um, but beyond uh, supportive and, and loving and affirming. My board uh, was as well. I think that what I was... This is actually pretty fascinating to me because the story that he told like a week or two weeks before the Southern Baptist Convention met this year 
was that there were all these basically all these racists running around and and defenders of sexual abuse running around the Southern Baptist Convention, especially on the executive board for the for the convention. But that, you know, he, he couldn't be part of this group of people or couldn't stand this group of people that uh, he was a strong word. I'm trying to remember if it was terrorized. I think it was his his family. And, and th- this is who they were. And so but now like so now he's saying, well, the people supported me. But in reality, like you and I both know, it's he's talking to a fellow elitist here and they're they, they know Russell Moore. Do they know the average Southern Baptist? No. And the average Southern Baptist did not care for Russell Moore. So this is, um, it, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a warped reality almost. He, he in his mind, he, here's what social justice advocates do. This is the lesson here. They look at themselves as um, speaking truth to power, the underdog, the oppressed, the marginalized, the minority. Uh, they, they're misunderstood, they're persecuted. They, they have like a persecution complex. It's kind of a martyr cult. And they look at themselves that way. And no matter what happens, they could be praised by all the elites, all the people with the money, all the people with platform and prestige and power can praise them to the hilt, but they're still going to act like they're this kind of martyr victim representing the people, representing the common folk uh, against uh, the elites who are on the executive committee for the Southern Baptist Convention. You and I, though, both know the truth. The truth of the matter is that's not who they actually are. That's a fantasy that they live in. Um, It's the common people, by and large, who actually uh, were concerned about Russell Moore. And even those on the executive committee, the the stated reasons that many of them had for concerns with the ERLC or concerns with caring well came back to flack they were getting from the common people in the SBC. So it's it's actually reversed. It's flipped from what Russell Moore actually thinks it is. And this is um, this is just very common. So I just want you to recognize it when you see it, because you can call it out. You can say, well, who are you who are you talking about? What do you mean the people like you and represent you? And I, from where I sit, the, the common people don't tend to care for you. And you're always getting these prestigious places like him, like in this case, PBS or Washington Post or New York Times to write from. Uh, most of the conservatives, so-called, that you say have power and, um, you, you know, they're not getting these uh, opportunities. So y- what are you talking about? Um, so anyway, uh, just thought I'd point that out. Starting to see was the same thing that virtually, I mean, almost every pastor I'm talking to right now is seeing, uh, which is uh, a congregation where the vast majority of people mm-hmm. really want to love each other. Uh, really want to follow Christ, and and sometimes there's a very small group uh, within that uh, congregation that doesn't want to. And uh, this is actually pretty serious. So what he's doing is he's minimizing. So what he did before the SBC convention was there's this horrible conspiracy of people, and it's just so, so many people terrorizing my family, and uh, and the racists and defenders of sexual abuse running around the the Southern Baptist Convention, et cetera, et cetera. This is. This is just, it's so pervasive. And now what he's doing is he's saying, oh, no, 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 He's actually, he's marginalizing them. He's putting them in a corner and saying, no, nah, there's not too many of them. They're, they're just, most people want to follow God. But look, this sounds so respectable. Listen to, though, how, how I don't know, mean sounding this actually is. If you just, if you read the transcript and you didn't hear his tone, uh, he is saying that there's people who want to follow Christ. And then there's these evil people who didn't like him. And they're the ones who don't want to follow Christ. He's basically accusing them of not being Christians. That, that's kind of like what he's saying. So 
the, you know, people who there's the people who want unity and then the people who don't. And they're the evil people. Uh, this is kind of like there's this us versus them kind of thing going on in their minds when everyone else just really wants unity. But actually what Russell Moore is doing is he's making a distinction in his head. He's separating people uh, along the lines of, I guess, whether they supported him or not. And um, and so he, he's, he's saying it's just it's a small amount of people who are these horrible, you know, racist, et cetera, that didn't like him. Creates a, a different kind of temperature in the room. And so what a pastor has to decide is, uh, do I uh, continue working toward change in this congregation, which is usually uh, the way to go, or in other ways to say maybe maybe I should be doing something different. So why did you resign? Because I started to see God doing something new in terms of... That's actually such a good question. She's saying, hold on, wait a minute. You're saying there's this just minority of people that have this issue, and it's not pervasive, and you know, pastor should 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 probably in most instances stick around to try to change things. If it's really not that bad, then why did you resign? Because this is a different tune than the one he was singing before he left the ERLC, or the in the in the letter that was revealed about why he left. Putting people together uh, from multiple denominations who have the same concern. So I was having conversation every single day uh, with. Anglicans and Presbyterians and non-denominational people and, and others who are saying, it seems to me that we have a moment where we need to put the gospel first and we need to put the kingdom first and we need each other to do that. And so Christianity Today uh, being uh, the, the way that, that, uh, that the evangelical movement essentially launched um, in the, in the post-war era, I think we have a very similar moment right now. So you're focusing very much on what you're going toward, not what you're leaving. Mm -hmm. Perfectly understand. I think it's interesting. He's saying, talking about like talking to Anglicans, and then he's saying, but like this is so like evangelicalism has been broadened because Anglicans, I guess, are not fitting that. You know, I'm going to do something broad. I'm going to talk to the Anglicans and the Presbyterians, etc., and all of evangelicalism. It's just interesting to me because evangelicalism didn't really start that way. Well, but I have to say, your 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 resignation letter landed like a rocket. It was leaked. I don't know who leaked it. I know that we've all read it. You've not denied that it is your words. It's blistering. It's absolutely blistering. You say that the presenting issue, you said, is not the former president. You say the presenting issue was the way the denomination itself or the leadership was dealing with sexual abuse, thing one. But you also say that you and your family faced constant threats from white nationalists and white supremacists, including within the convention. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. Uh, yes. Well, that wasn't a resignation letter. It was a, it was a letter that I had written to my board members. Just uh, they, they pray with me, and, and uh, I was helping them to see some of the things that were going on. Yes. I mean, I think that um, there are very real issues within the, the church in almost every uh, denomination or communion or setting right now when it comes to these issues of racial justice and reconciliation and sexual abuse. I mean, I, I'm finding this as recently as just right before this, uh, this interview, uh, talking to a pastor who's combating this within the congregation. You know, I was listening to a Roger Scruton, uh, was I listening? I think I was listening. I was, cause I'm going through one of his books. I can't remember if it was a reading or listening, but anyway, uh, Roger Scruton said something about, it was an interview. It was on YouTube, uh, how the left, is when they all the things that they vaguely say that they're about and that they 
portray the conservative side as saying they're against um, are things that no one really disagrees on, hardly anyone. Like who would be against racial reconciliation? Who would be for sexual abuse? These are things that universally, just about like 99.9% of people all can come together on and say, we are like, like hearing just those terms, they all say like, you know, we're with you on that. But then when you unpack the meaning that someone like a Russell Moore is giving to them, he, he gets, they play with definitions so that they can um, use language in such a way that they claim the high ground. It's kind of like the, you know, the wellness for all act or something like that. Like who would be against wellness for all or healthcare for all or something like that? Well, uh, we're because of the devil's in the details. It's, it's not that that anyone's against. It's the actual plan that slides right underneath that term. And, and Russell Moore does that too. So another thing to watch that progressives do. And it can be uh, exhausting. It can be demoralizing. Uh, but it also means that there's an opportunity uh, for the people of God to do what's right. I hear you, but it's, it is disturbing. I mean, when, when did yeah. you start to see these things? I mean, has this been kind of a little hum all along, like sort of like the pilot light in your furnace that is always there? This is his opportunity right here. He was criticized because he never shed any light on actual white nationalists, racists, etc., who threatened his family. He never named names. He just said that, that it happened. This is his opportunity right here to say, those are the guys, those are the people that threatened my family. And I mean, he should be, if that's true, then he should, probably should be calling the police. But he's not even revealing it to the people on his board in a letter that was leaked. So here, here he has another opportunity right here. Is he going to, uh, to, to name who these people are, or is it just going to be a political tool that he uses uh, to try to uh, condemn this supposed minority of people who are causing all the problems? Um, or, you know, so here, here we go. Let's see something that became that you became newly aware of because of the prominence of your position well i think uh, i think that issues of, of racial justice particularly had always been uh disturbing to me it was one of the reasons why i went through a a spiritual crisis as a 15 year old uh when i was looking at bible belt christianity and seeing uh, a lot of very blatant racism and wondering how can these two things go together i mean what one cannot read the bible and, and see the, the actions of Jesus and seeing the sort of church that Jesus puts together and come to this kind of conclusion that, that racism is anything other than morally wrong. And so that's been a concern for me uh, for, for all of my life. I think there are many people who are rattled by some of the things that we're seeing uh, in terms of, of sexual abuse and the treatment of sexual abuse survivors and, uh, and cover-ups taking place, again, not just in, in one setting and not just even within a church setting, but within, uh, within multiple settings in the United States right now. But the church is called to better. And so we ought to be the place uh, that, that is the toughest uh, on sexual abuse and the place that is the most caring for uh, survivors and victims of sexual abuse. I think that is something we must do better. And I, I don't know. So there, there's so much he just said. One of the things, though, I'll just note this. The gov the place where people should be the toughest on uh, criminals like that would be the civil magistrate. That's their job. And this is where the social justice movement sometimes goes off the rails, is they forget the church is a ministry of justice. Uh, I'm sorry, a ministry of grace. 
um, and the, the government is, bears the sword. It's a ministry of justice. And sometimes those two things get conflated a little bit. I remember having a conversation with a group of evangelical women a couple of years ago, and uh, one of the women there said, it seems to me that when you're seeing some of these revelations that are taking place with some high-profile scandals, some high-profile cover-ups, it seems that you're rattled by that. And we want you to know that none of us are surprised by this. Mm. And the entire uh, room full of women were nodding their heads. And that was a that was really a key moment uh, for me in seeing in seeing just how just how deep some of these problems go. You said earlier that this is a minority of people within the convention, within the denomination, within the universe. And that, you know, it sort of makes sense. I mean, Southern Baptists, at least to the current moment have been the largest Protestant denomination. So we're talking about, you know, millions of people. On the other hand, the areas in which you have constantly faced criticism within your movement have been when you've surfaced these issues. I mean, when you have publicly called for more diversity in the leadership of the convention, you were criticized yeah. for that. When you have showcased women who have wanted to speak about their experiences with sexual misconduct, you were criticized for that. Mm -hmm. In fact, you say in your letter... It's actually not... See, here's where she's getting it wrong. That's not what he was ever criticized for, at least not, not, not the main people criticizing Russell Moore. They were criticizing him for the assumptions behind why he was doing that, for the reasoning. Uh, for instance, with the Caring Well stuff, it's, it's not so much that you're platforming people who have abuse stories. It's, it's where you're doing it, and it's how you're doing it, and it's why you're doing it. Um, so the, sort of making them epistemic islands, like they have so much to teach pastors without, like you look at the speaker list for Caring Well. Where are the pastors? Um, where are the, those who are known specifically as pastors and speaking in their capacity as pastors, people who understand the word of God and know how to apply it? Or is the emphasis on survivors can, you know, pastors need to sit at the feet of the survivors to understand how to really deal with this issue because you need these perspectives. So it's that kind of thing. It's not, uh, it's, it's nothing against quote unquote survivors. And so this is where, again, um, you know, who, who could be against uh, health care for all, right? Well, no one is. It's just who's going to pay for it. And then you start having disagreements. That from the very beginning of my service, I've been attacked with the most vicious guerrilla tactics on such matters and have been told to be quiet about this by others. You said that, you know, you've heard just the most vicious racist comments like behind the scenes. So, so if that's the case, then how can you say, I mean, forgive me, that it's not somehow defining or pervasive within the movement. You see what I say? How can both of those things be true? Well, I think both of those things can be true because if you look at what uh, the denomination as a whole would do when they would come together in their in their annual meetings, uh, they would they would not be uh, in any way um, in the direction that you just mentioned. As a matter of fact. Uh, you know, I was often surprised uh, at just how strong uh, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, would end up being in their June meetings in terms of support for racial reconciliation and justice and uh, standing up for sexual abuse survivors. That wasn't the problem. Uh, the problem was what was happening between meetings. And, uh, and, and I found that that's the case in a number of institutions right now, where sometimes the people who are the most 
um, obsessed with the politics, the internal politics, tend to be the uh, the least healthy people, uh, mm-hmm. and and vice versa. What? <laughs> Wouldn't Russell Moore be kind of like the most obsessed with the internal politics of almost anyone? Look at the columns he wrote. Look at the videos he put out. Look at the interviews he's done. Um, his job was to be the director of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and it's like he couldn't hardly do it. Go, look back to COVID and see like how he even how slow the ERLC was. Uh, just I mean, if anything, they were even damaging uh, the response of churches in in the United States by trying to show their solidarity with the government and with stopping the spread and uh, all these kinds of things and the mandates that to lock down churches and you know all of that that's the that's where the ERLC was at uh, Russell Moore spends a great deal of his time and you would think you would think that wasn't his job if you followed him you'd think it wasn't being the head of the ERLC you would think it was probably being what he just said obsessed with the internal politics of the SBC and condemning Christians that he didn't like. You'd think that was his job, but this is like, is, he's a master at projection, which is, it, it seems like what's going on right now. He's accusing others of the very thing that he does himself. How do you think race plays in this? I mean, is it possible that race has become more important than the gospel? Is it possible? In, in some sectors, I think it, it certainly has. And if, if this is not new, though. If mm-hmm. you look back at the New Testament, uh, you're going to find so much of it has to do with this very question, whether or not people are going to idolize the, the flesh uh, and exercise dominion over one another, or whether or not people are going to be part of one, one body and, and one fellowship. This is, this is a repeated issue in the New Testament, and it's been a repeated issue uh, throughout history. This is so vague. Um, I, I'm assuming he's talking about the Jews and Gentiles and the the laws contained in ordinances that stood between them because it was, it was a law issue. It really wasn't a race issue. But I mean, what else? What is he talking about? Oh, if you notice, even uh, what we tend to think of as the contemporary evangelical movement happened uh, in the 1940s and 50s with a diverging of those who wanted to be separatist fundamentalists. Uh, and those who wanted to be uh, gospel-focused, gospel-centered uh, evangelicals. So th- that is very telling. That is very telling right there, because the fundamentalists uh, split off because primarily of uh, things like uh, modernism, evolution, uh, higher criticism. Um, those, those, th- that was a big part of it. Was there a culture element? Yeah, there, there, did, where there was to some extent. They wanted to. Um, they, nah, I don't want to go on a whole thing about that. Actually, it's funny. Someone, I think it was Edwin Ramirez, asked me a question the other day about fundamentalism. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to record my response. And like 20 minutes later, I looked, I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I, poor guy's going to have to listen to like, I, I gave him his own personal podcast on what I thought of fundamentalism. But um, primarily it was uh, modernism. It was higher criticism, evolution. These are the kinds of things that ripped apart or or made uh, fundamentalists um, kind of become more insular, and they you know ended up. I mean, the Bible College or Bible Institute movement was started, and these kinds of things. Uh, and and evangelicals, new evangelicals, were in 1947 onward. I guess is the date usually assigned to that. 
uh, they wanted to be global leaders. And Russell Moore is still part of that stream. Uh, they wanted, and, and they compromised real quick because of it. But they thought, you know, oh, the Bible Institute thing. No, we're gonna we're gonna create seminaries that we have like psych, psycho, uh, psychological leaders and uh, sociologists and all these kinds of things. Yeah, that's that didn't work out too well. And uh, Russell Moore looks at that and he says, though they're about the gospel. He's making a split here. One side's about the gospel, the neo evangelicals, who basically they look at Fuller Theological Seminary. How long was it, quote unquote, gospel centered? And then the fundamentalists who, who don't have the gospel, why? What, what, why don't they? I mean, they could be wrong about some things culturally, but why don't they have the gospel? So what is Russell Moore's gospel is, is the question here. This is very revealing. In many cases, they agreed on all the fundamentals of the faith, but they disagreed very much about uh, the ways that culture can, uh, can shift and can take any religion captive. I mean, that, that's really the issue. You can't if that's the issue, then why is that? Why does it mean they don't have the gospel if they disagree on that? It's really, really clear. Russell Moore is showing his cards right now. He does. He, this is another gospel, guys. This is a false gospel. The social justice movement, nine out of 10 times, it's probably more like 10 out of 10 times. But like you start looking under the hood at some of these guys and you, they start making comments like this, especially in interviews that are they're offhanded. Uh, where, I mean, Russell Moore hasn't just done it in interviews. He's done it in like speeches he's vetted, but they start saying things like this. Oh, they don't have the gospel. If what? You disagree on some cultural thing here? That means you don't have the gospel? So so what is the gospel to you? Uh, you, you have to have some kind of work of reaching the world in a certain way to have the gospel? Like, I didn't think works was part of it. But, but notice that say, white evangelicals were among the former president's strongest constituencies. Yeah. They are among the most hesitant right now to embrace public health measures to contain the coronavirus. And it's all the more noteworthy because the, these are folks who espouse an ethic of being, of protecting the sanctity of life. And yet they have proven to be among the most unwilling to take measures to protect the sanctity of some lives, of vulnerable lives. And wh why is that? Why is that? I don't know. I, I think we're in a, a moment of a, a kind of crisis of credibility. Uh, that's one of the things that I've been speaking to uh, repeatedly. And and frankly, uh, what takes up most of my time and energy right now is... Let me explain it. Um, Christians believe that thou shalt not murder is one of the Ten Commandments. Murdering is evil and wrong. Christians also believe that adults can take certain risks, and that's on them. It's within their jurisdiction. It's not up to the nanny state to dictate to them what kind of risk they should or should not take. Uh, taking a risk and murdering someone are very different things. That's what Russell Moore, the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission formally, should have been able to articulate in about 0.2 seconds. To young evangelical Christians who are disillusioned and who are fighting against uh, cynicism, usually not yielding to it but fighting against it, and they have every reason uh, to in many cases. So we, we really have a long project ahead of us of rebuilding uh, evangelical credibility on the basis of being the people who, who, uh, who are what we say we are. How about, how about we assume for a moment that this is true? Evangelicals are a bunch of hypocrites. They're, their ethics are all off. Uh, they don't even quite have the gospel, and they call themselves evangelicals. They're the most terrible people. 
let's just assume that that's true and there's a crisis now it's funny because at the beginning he's saying oh it's just a minority of people and now all of a sudden it's a crisis that young people are justified in struggling in uh because in reacting to this so which is it russell moore but here's the thing um if that's all true which i don't grant but let's say it is um why do young people still have a right or you know they 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 have every what did he say every right to to uh have this crisis of credibility and it, it to shake them etc how about you just say, you know what? There have been uh, many false converts, many false churches, many people who say that they're one thing and they're not. Um, the, the foundation for the Christian faith is in Jesus Christ. It's in the Word of God. That's what you say. You don't give people, you don't justify that they're, oh, you're, you know, you have every right to struggle with your faith because of this minority of people, I guess, who uh, aren't doing everything ethically the way that social justice activists would like them to do it. If that's what your faith is built on, then look, and, and look, I'm not taking anything away from the, it being understandable. I get that. But even if it's understandable, you don't like say that, oh, someone, someone has the, the right to, uh, to, to have, to, to um, kind of have a crisis of faith. That, that's what doesn't make sense to me. Uh, no, if, if your faith is rooted in Jesus, then it's, it's firm, it's solid. You don't need the affirmation of uh, false converts. So, look, I understand this to some extent, because I think we've all gone through this. Those who understand Russell Moore is a wolf and so many that are pushing uh, a false gospel, uh, as Russell Moore even just kind of let out, um, are— we, we have struggled to some extent with, wait a minute, like I thought all these people were Christians. Look, I wrote a letter, what, 11 years ago to Russell Moore praising him for things, in a, sort of. I don't know if I want to be too. I, I, was, I was very thankful for him. We'll put it that way. And I realized this is the guy that I wrote that letter to? Oh my goodness. And it, it, I could see how it sort of could shake someone a little bit. But at no point does it take away the fact that I have a relationship with Jesus. God is real. Um, I know him. Uh, the truth of the scripture is, is, is real. And yeah, you work through it. I, I would never uh, tell someone, well, you know, you, gotta, you have the right to um, have this crisis of faith over it or something like that, or to shake your faith. No, that shouldn't shake your faith. It, I mean, I could see how it could, but I wouldn't, you know, lending credibility to it. It's just weird. It's just a weird move uh, to make. And you wonder who he's talking to here. Who, like he's on NPR. Is he, is he being a prophetic voice to NPR yet? Or is this still about uh, <laughs> the internal politics of the church, which he says that people that are obsessed with it are the problem. That's what he's talking about. That's what the questions are being asked about, too. That's what he seems to want to talk about. And so his message is to, um, to, to I don't know, this is strange. His message is to people that are on, I think, more the social justice slash progressive side and kind of like affirming them and affirming even people at like places like, PBS, NPR, the viewers that would, would be there, and affirming them in their struggle with viewing conservative Christianity as legitimate. And this is someone that was paid, his salary was paid by little ladies in the Southern Baptist Convention, giving him money. And now he's throwing them under the bus. Anyway, I, I should stop just because it's, it's, it, it, it does make me irritated. It's, it's, you know, Jesus said that it would be better for a millstone to, to go around your neck and to be cast into the sea than to make one of the little ones to stumble. And what I see in Russell Moore right now is he's saying, you know what, you, you know, little ones, you have a little bit of a right to stumble here because of the way conservative Christians are acting. It's just disgusting to me. Believe what we say we believe. 
I mean, this is this is one of the things that's interesting to me, is that when I find this sort of uh, disillusionment taking place among younger Christians, it's usually not for the reasons that people assume that they can't believe what the church teaches. It's instead just the opposite. They fear that the church doesn't believe what yeah. it teaches. So we need. That's the same thing the progressive evangelicals of the 1970s said. The Marxist evangelicals said, "You can get my book, Social Justice Goes to Church." Uh, socialjusticegoestochurch.com, same talking point, exactly. They said, oh, we're the biblical ones. You know, Christianity got it wrong for hundreds of years. We're the biblical ones. Be the people who are consistent, who are working to maintain integrity and consistency across the board. And that means, uh, that means loving our neighbor uh, when it comes to, to public health measures and, and so forth. And what I would say is, what I find often with secular people is that they assume that the problem here um, is is pastor uh, is the pastoral leadership, and I have found that not to be the case. There are some high-profile sort of uh, pastors who uh, are on television telling people not to be vaccinated or that the blood of Jesus will protect you from COVID and so forth. That's mm -hmm. very rare, though, uh, from what I'm finding on the ground. In most cases, pastors are leading kind of heroically in their communities, and not just with their own churches but many of them are facing really significant uh, backlash uh, from, again, often small groups of people within congregations, but a small group of people can change, can change the entire uh, dynamic. Uh, so that's... Sadly, I'm going to say this, and I, I don't say it often. I think Russell Moore is probably right about that. It, it, pastors primarily have been the ones who were like, let's shut it down. You know, let's just comply with what the government says, you know, misapplication of Romans 13. And the ones who, a lot of the ones who have changed their position, like totally, like 180 changed their position, won't admit that they changed their position, which uh, is not good. You sh should at least admit to your congregation. Be, be humble. I've, I've been wrong on things, uh, and and I'll admit it. I just, actually, last week that just happened. I had to retract something. Um just admit you're wrong, but um, he's right. I think that a lot of pastors, it's 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 very telling because it's taken sometimes the discernment of congregants who are probably have a little more political savvy uh, and see kind of the move that's being made to realize what's actually going on. And there's probably a whole bunch of reasons for that, but I think he is right. Of course, we would view that from probably an opposite end. Most of us. Uh, that you know this is a bad thing <laughs> that it took pastors so long to kind of catch on to what what's actually going on and many of them still haven't but that's a challenge and a crisis for us right now is the former president a symptom or is he forgive me the disease was he the symptom or was he the cause um i think he was i think he was in some ways a symptom and in some ways a driver and, and by driver what i mean is sort of the mode of discourse that now seems normal uh, to us, including in terms of, of church life. Uh, I don't think he created that, but I do think that the last five years have, have normalized that. So I'll often talk to pastors who will feel as though they're failures because they look at uh, Facebook feeds of their, their members and they see people using uh, language and, and sarcasm and, and personal attack in ways that aren't consistent with the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And they say to themselves, where did I go wrong? Quick distinction here. Sermon on the Mount, um, it's 
Jesus is setting a high standard for the Pharisees, or for the people, but he's saying your righteousness has to surpass the scribes and Pharisees here. Uh, and everyone's kind of like, wait a minute, what? Like, they're the ones that we look to as the ones that can keep the law. And Jesus says, no, it's so much more deeper. Um, Sermon on the Mount condemns people. It shows people how high the standard truly is. And it's about personal jurisdiction. It's about the way you conduct your life personally. Um, For instance, a soldier should not be applying turn the other cheek on the battlefield. That would be a misapplication of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a, that would be, he's in the wrong jurisdiction. He's, he's has a job and it's to fight and he's a representative of the government, which bears the sword. And Jesus affirmed that. So you're not finding Jesus telling soldiers, you know, go turn the other cheek. He's saying though, in general, when it comes to personal insults in your daily life, turn the other cheek, right? So what, often I see this with leftists, they love to wield the Sermon on the Mount to say that government should abide by the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone should just abide by the Sermon on the Mount and be gentle. And they kind of miss the point of what it's trying, what it's doing. It's showing that in your personal life, um, with with a personal, uh, if someone's going to personally insult you, that you turn the other cheek. And it, it's showing you you can't really even meet that standard. That's <laughs> Most people aren't going to do that. Uh, and so th- that's something that Jesus uh, was able to do. He exemplified that. But when you're... Um, and I don't know what Facebook post he's talking about, but when you're at war, and I'd like to suggest we're in a weird state because of our technology. Um, we we have kind of like a civil war going on right now without the bloodshed. Yeah, there was some bloodshed last year. Yeah, someone got killed on January 6th, and, and there, were, there was more, way more bloodshed last summer. And there was hundreds of businesses or thousands of businesses really um, destroyed and monuments down and, and all the rest of it burning, things burning up. yeah. Uh, that's a sy- symptom of, of something deeper going on. But there is kind of, we are in a, in a wartime type scenario right now. And so, yeah, are there people that say things on Facebook they shouldn't? Yeah, I'm sure there are. Um, but I, I do think that you have to take things in context. And um, I'm just telling you, I don't, I can't, because he's being kind of like general here, but a lot of the times when I see that kind of rhetoric coming from people, I mean, look how condemning Russell Moore is in this whole thing. I mean, is he following the Sermon on the Mount, right? I guess he is because he's in an air-conditioned room with a suit jacket speaking slowly and calmly, right? But but that's not really, uh, that, that shouldn't be the metric you use to, to figure out whether or not you're in keeping with Jesus's teaching or the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus himself uh, became aggressive at times and said very cutting things at times. Um, there are times and places for those things. And I oftentimes, uh, progressive um, or social justice activists, pastors, uh, just social justice activists in general, on the Christian side, don't seem to be able to see that. They, they're kind of blind to it in themselves. And when they look at others who um, say things, you know, like, I don't know, our country is being destroyed, or this person's ruining our country, or things like that, uh, they, they tend to think, well, that's wrong. You shouldn't say that. You should. That's not respectful and stuff. And they, I think they're missing what the context is. Well, how how like the world they're actually living in. Like if you're really living in a world that you believe and you think that the election was rigged, uh, that uh, China is subverting us all over the place, and Joe Biden's in bed with them. If you think that um, the this coronavirus stuff is a sham to take away our freedoms, uh, or the, at least the reaction to it by the government. Uh, if you think that this the white privilege stuff being promoted 
is um, all a bunch of Marxism, and it's going to undercut the entire framework of the Constitution. I mean, if you believe all these things, and I could go on, then you're kind of like... <laughs> it makes sense why you'd say maybe like our country is being destroyed, or this person's you know doing that, or, or that kind of thing. So it's not necessarily like a disrespectful thing to say, um, to, to just point out the truth of the matter. It, it's more like calling out what... Um, many would now consider to be, I guess, a false religion, because I think the social justice movement is a religion. And there is a place for mockery in that. There is a place for calling out the prophets at Mount Carmel and mocking their gods, mocking the state. There is a place for it. Now, do you have to be careful? Yes, you have to be careful. Is government, should you be praying for your government officials? Yes, you should. Does government have a place? Yes, it does. Um, realize what you're dealing with. You're dealing, though, with a political religion you're dealing with a false god as well you're not just dealing with government staying in its lane following what god thinks of justice all right so i've said enough on that but i just wanted to point that out it's an opportunity too because russell moore kind of uh, he gave me that opportunity all right we have uh four minutes left let's get through this well uh, we're living in a in a cultural ecosystem where things that would have been shocking to us just a few years ago have now become routine and have become normal. I, I think that that's like, uh, I don't know, transgender library hour. Would that be one of those things? No, I probably not. Probably not. He's probably talking about Donald Trump still. Uh, a big, big part of this. As we've discussed, the Southern Baptists have been the country's largest Protestant denomination. But as you know, the convention saw its largest single membership drop from 2018 to 2019. It's the, like the 13th straight year of decline, as I understand it. Why, why do you think that is? I can answer that. What, what did Randy Adams say? 20 churches a month are leaving the denomination. This was before the convention because of social justice primarily. Let's see what Russell Moore says. Of, of uh, reasons for that. And I think uh, one of the reasons is, you know, somebody who's growing up at a time when I was, uh, is somebody who is really uh, taught that one's denominational identity is one's uh, identity almost, um, secondary to, to identity in Christ, but certainly present there in a way that's... Now, he's right about this, but he's right about it in the South, primarily. This isn't the and it's the Midwest to some extent. This is not the case out West. It's not the case in the Northeast. Uh, it is not the case probably even in Florida quite as much, depending on where you are. It's or, or in many urban cities now in the South where they've had so many Northerners move down. It, it is the case in the South. So it's not a time thing, in my opinion, as much as it is probably a regional thing. And it's still like that to some extent. It's not the case now. Uh, so there will be people who will move from uh, from Presbyterian Church to Methodist Church to Baptist Church to Anglican Church. He's right. That is more pervasive. With relative ease in a way that never would have happened uh, before. Now, Russell Moore is an example of this because he just joined a church that actually practices pedo-baptism, as I understand it. So Russell Moore is an example of what he's talking about here. Then you add to that uh, some of the things that we've been talking about uh, earlier with the sort of uh, crisis of credibility and, and cynicism and the sort of despair that is coming uh, toward uh, institutions that sometimes uh, people feel have, have failed them. And all of that adds up to uh, the moment that we find ourselves in now. Do you see your movement as being one that can... Did that answer her question? I, I, 
maybe he knows the answer and he doesn't want to say it. I don't know. Um, people jump from denomination to denomination and they're cynical. Um, okay. Recapture prominence. By the way, that would have been the point to share the gospel because you could have said, you know, we're, we're losing the gospel and uh, we're, we're getting involved in all these pragmatic things. We're getting involved in all these social justice things. Here's the gospel and all the BBS viewers could have heard it. I don't know how else to describe it because one of the things that you wrote about in one of your earlier books onward, where it was engaging the culture without losing the gospel was really about accepting, if I could put it as bluntly as possible, accepting the fact that some of you, the core principles that evangelicals adhere to are not shared by the broader society. They just aren't. It's just, just not the majority yeah. view. Some people see the way our politics is unfolding as a way for a minority of people to try to dominate the majority with their views. Um, yeah. Do you think that's fair? And do you think that that's possible? Well, I don't think that uh, evangelical Christianity should be seeking to dominate anyone. Uh, the, the gospel does not come through coercion. It, it comes through persuasion and the power of the Holy Spirit. I think one of the problems is that sometimes there's a tendency to try to find a golden age in the past. Hold on, though. The law is a curb and a guide. The law, the civil magistrate must have the law in order to exercise authority. So if you have a vote in a country that lets you have a say in your government, there should be, you better believe there should be some influence from evangelical Christianity, uh, even in force, because someone's morality is going to be making that decision. Where evangelical Christianity was dominant and prominent and uh, that's not what I think we need to be looking to. Instead, I think we need to be looking to uh, following Christ, which means having confidence in the gospel. Such That's like saying, your house is burning down. Um, you know, that old house that's burning down right in front of you, getting a fire hose, yeah, that's not what you should be focusing on right now, saving that old house by getting a fire hose. You know, you know people think that fire hose is kind of mean, actually. What you should do is just look forward. You know, what's your next house going to be like? <laughs> that, that's kind of what, that's like what he's saying. That we don't uh, believe that we need to seek prominence or to coerce people or to be a, uh, some sort of a political uh, movement at the table, but instead be the sort of people who can bear witness to the grace of Jesus Christ and then to embody that and to show that. What does that look like? Well, I think it looks, it looks like churches that... Uh, hold to the, their convictions and love one another and are able to deal with kindness uh, toward those who don't understand them and who don't get them. And I think you see that uh, in, in communities all over, not just all over North America, but all over the world right now uh, with, with Christians who genuinely see the people around them who disagree with them, not as uh, people to be uh, to be uh, attacked or in some sort of war with, uh, but as people to, to love and to serve. And we can talk honestly about where we have disagreements, but do so trying to persuade each other, not trying to shut one another down. Russell Moore, Pastor Russell Moore, thank you so much for talking with us today. It'd be kind of good if you follow that advice with Mike Stone, I, would, I feel like. But uh, that's it. That's it. Um, and I, I've reached my limit, I think. Uh, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Um, there, there you go. That's what Russell Moore is, uh, up to, I guess right now. 
And uh, this is the last podcast of the week, I believe. What's today? Today's Friday. Tomorrow's Saturday. So I'm recording this the evening before Saturday. You're hearing this probably on Saturday. Um, there will be more next week. I'm going to try. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm going to try to record a bunch of podcasts, if possible, uh, before I I leave. Because actually what's happening is I'm moving back uh, to New York for, to, to um, the home we have there. And... Um, right after like it's like two days after that uh, my wife and I haven't gone on a vacation for uh, since since COVID at all so we're going on a vacation for a week and then we're visiting family uh, for a week and so um, I'm going to try to line up as much as I possibly can I don't know how far I'll get but I'm, I'm going to do my best and uh, and and so you don't have to miss conversations that matter I know um some of you really uh, enjoy uh, some of this stuff, and it's different. And maybe I'll, we'll put together some just different stuff. We'll talk about some things. I, I actually want to talk about some fun things too, not just the social justice stuff. Uh, but uh, maybe we'll get some some people to talk about cuisine and other things. I know some of you are, you, you don't like that. You want to keep keep on the trail, John. But we need a relief from it sometimes. And uh, so anyway, um, just want to let you know kind of what I'm planning. And uh, yeah, um, God bless. Hope that was helpful. Until next time. Bye now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.